Welcome to episode 34 of the Writing Africa podcast. I'm your host, James Murua. Today we have a treat. We'll start chatting a bit about what's been happening in the industry. And at the very end of it, we have a very nice interview with uh, graphic novelist Shif Nyamwaya. Uh, we'll be chatting a bit about some of the festivals that are coming. I'm focusing on the Somanami African Book Festival and a bit of uh, award news. Remember, you can support the work we do archiving African and Black literature via PayPal, mobile money, or Patreon, starting at $3 a month. Uh, you can get that information by going to writingafrica.com slash donate. Enjoy. The week has gone quickly. Uh, we've been having award news on from people like, you know, the Kalemba Short Story Prize announced their shortlist. The World First Fantasy Award announced their shortlist. And there were some Africans or Black uh, people who are in that, in that uh, category. I mean, the British F Fantasy Awards announced their shortlist. The Palestinian Book Awards announced their shortlist. The Polari Book Awards announced their long list. So there's been a lot of stuff happening in the long list scene. I won't uh, bore you with all the names. I'm just going to direct you to go to writingafrica.com. I have all the information on all those shortlists, you know, long list, shortlist, finalists. And uh, and it's been a very, very active uh, few days since, you know, we last recorded this podcast. Let's move quickly to festivals. Uh, Saturday, July 29th, two festivals wrapped up. The Kakameka Book Festival and the Fiera do Livro de Maputo. The Kakamega Book Festival is a one-day affair, so you know it was one day, wrapped it up. Uh, the Fiera do Livro de Maputo, which I guess as you know, Maputo is in Mozambique. Uh, they they started on the 17th, they ended up on the 29th. It's been a, you know it's been a great few days in, in Maputo for the for you bibliophiles. Um, I'm I'm hoping to do a report. If you, if you have any information, I'm happy to do a report. We're coming to my festival focus today. And my festival focus, Somanami African Book Fair. Now, when uh, it was announced in June by our, our friends, Somanami, Somanami Bookstore, and when they announced it, it sounded a bit like um, like a book fair, like, you know, a merchant's affair, you know, just go and buy books. And that's what I really expected initially. But as... I mean, the festival is starting tomorrow, and it's it's not just a book fair, book fair, but it also has a few events that you know will get into the festival territory. So the fair party, oh no, ten thousand books from fifty uh, fifty thousand fifty countries across Africa at the Macmillan Library in Nairobi. So the fair party is covered, and then now the festival, you know, where we we do events uh, where you can come and listen to people. For me, the most exciting of the events is the opening ceremony on Tuesday. Um, um, you know, opening ceremonies, you have, you know, you have all the players showing up, all the important people coming up. So that always excites me. So Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Another highlight for me is the launch of Linda Musita's Mtama Road. I've, I've read uh, Linda's work in, you know, in Jalada and other spaces. She's really good. And it's going to be her debut novel, which has been published by Down River Road. Uh, see, Down River Road doesn't, doesn't just do journals. They actually publish, this is their first novel, I think. So, excitos, as we like saying, saying in Nairobi. So, it's not just the book launch. We have like um, an event, like an in-conversation event, 
Reclaiming the Narrative and Documenting Culture with Tabu Osusa. Tabu Osusa is a record label. He's a record. Uh, he owns Ketable Records, and he also wrote a book on you know contemporary Kenyan music. It's the only one out there. So he would be a knowledgeable person in this space. Then uh, you know the stuff for kids, the stuff for teenagers, the stuff for young adults. Um, you know the storytelling, and then of course there's a big book reading by Shikonguru. She writes kids, she has books for kids, and uh, she has two books. Intersimi Warriors 1 and Intersimi Warriors 2, whereas one is Mikali and the Formidian Mask. Then, of course, we have an in-conversation with Shiko Kimeria and Otene Opondo, and they'll be chatting on writing the contemporary Kenyan story. So these are Kenyan, Kenyan writers who have published their own books. The last event is the fireside chat with, with Mudoni Muirore and Wendy Njoroge, who are the Somanami proprietors alongside Cynthia Mwangi of you know, Hot 96. And uh, they'll be chatting about making space for African storytelling. That you have to check out because, um, you know, these are people who have been at the forefront of like, making sure that, we, you know, we have spaces for African storytellers or for people who want to partake of African storytelling with their store on uh, Gong Road at the Greenhouse Mall. I've been following your work over the last uh, couple of years. I know you're a you're a drawing guy. Mm-hmm. You're a you're Michoraji. an anime, an artist. Yes. Uh, you wanna tell us a little bit about that drawing thing? You know how it started uh, briefly, like you know how you started drawing as a younger person, mm-hmm. and how you got into it uh, fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always loved drawing. From my earliest memory, I remember my, my first drawing that I can remember doing was, you know, doing a house on a hill, which is basically a horizontal line across across a page. You color the bottom green, color the top blue, and then you have a house in the middle. Um, I loved it, but I never thought of making a career out of it. It was just not practical. That's not what, you know, sane people did in Kenya. Mm. So it was there. It was a hobby. It's like you can go to school and you're good at football or you're good at tennis, but you don't expect to, to make a career of it. And, you know, my, my dad told me the same thing. He's like, yeah, you know, Winston Churchill in between wars was, you know, he would entertain himself by painting. And, you know, that was always the picture. It was something you do in your pastime. Um, and I've told this story a thousand times about like how, uh, for me, a turning point was, uh, you know, uh, living through PEV. Uh, I was staying in Parklands, the GSU trucks used to drive past us because I was a student with the Faculty of Law in in Parklands. Mm. And, you know, especially being a student of law, it was a real confusing and disruptive period, you know, because the rule of law is suspended, you know, the TV gets, you know, switched off or whatever. It's like, what what, what does law mean in this context where we're just floating about and there's no real sense of a rule of law you know um, and those questions never left me even after the dust settled and we went back to doing pupillage and Kenya School of Law and all these things the question still stayed and I was really affected by it um, you know if you if you want to be super cynical you can just say ah Kenya School of Law <laughs> but the truth is I, I lost the heart for it you know I'd had the heart to put in at that point almost five years but I just lost the heart and uh, so I started looking and um, go down had a competition for for, for doing um, for doing a, a comic story 
and I, I, I decided to, to sign up for it and, and, and to see if I could win. I didn't win, but at least the process of trying to put a story together with images got me thinking, ha, huh, this is something we can do. Mm. And around that time, I'd been reading Britain's Gulag, uh, Histories of the Hanged, um, and a lot of other Mau Mau stuff, because I'd been really digging in, in, in Kenya history around that time, and the, the information was coming. So that's what made me think, ah, this would really work well as a, as a comic book. Mm. You know, because I feel like um, so much of time, uh, so much of the time, critical information about our history, about our, uh, how we ended up being where we are in this Nairobi of ours, mm. it's hidden in the academy, it's hidden in, in, in libraries and uh, where learned people are, but it doesn't break out of the academy. And I thought comics is a way to break out. And I had, I had a, a facility with language and I could draw and I was like, what more do you need? Mm. I would learn that there's a little bit more that you need, but at that point I was like, ah, this is enough. So, so a comic uh, type thing. Yes. So what was your first book? I know you had a book out which came out before this this, this kind of mm -hmm. So in 2010, that was my first book. In October of 2010, I started um, publishing. I'd, I'd researched it for nine months in 2010, and then I eventually published it in October of that year, and it was called Emergency. And what I did with Emergency was that I took all the information that I could find about Dedeck Mathis' life, um, and then uh, I looked for, I tried to fictionalize it, like, um, you know, let's imagine that he, he's coming back from Burma, you know, with other World War II veterans, and he arrives in the city. What's the experience he has once he arrives in Nairobi? Um, so I, I used to read, like, old magazines of what Nairobi used to look like. I went, I would hang around the railway to see, you know, the third-class natives, and you see all the, all the different classes. I'm like, how can we bring this to life, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, in a kind of cinematic way that comics are very good at doing, and so that's how Emergency was born. And um, you know, it had a it had a small fan base, you know, a pretty decent fan base that uh, that at least lit the fire to what would become my career. So, I mean, for somebody who's listening in, are they are they able to get this book now? Is mm -hmm. it is no is it no longer in print? It's still on Facebook. Well, it was a, a webcomic. Oh, a webcomic. Yeah, so actually the website was emergencywebcomic.com, although I don't know if the domain, the domain is probably lapsed by now. It only probably survives on, on Facebook. Mm. Um, but I was doing it completely solo. It was just a, a solo project, no publisher, no nothing. Actually, all my projects have been self-published. Mm. Um, I'm very much a child of web duo. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's how I was doing it. I just uh, registered my own domain, emergencywebcomic.com, and I, would, uh, I, I made a small... Um, uh, video on After Effects, a small trailer, and I just started uh, doing doing the comics. And uh, what I was really interested in was not necessarily the actual fighting itself that happens after 1952. I was interested in the life between him coming back as a war veteran and what is the political activity, what are the alliances he made that led up to that to that moment. Um, yeah, so yes, it's still available on Facebook. But I need to, I, I'm actually looking for, you know, the possibility of republishing it in oh, a new or yes. more, with all the skills that I've gathered, with all the artwork, with all the artistic skills that have been gathered and, you know, the resources that I now have after 12 years of doing this to, mm. you know, republish it properly. So you've gone 12 years between uh, 2010 and 2022. What are yes. you doing in, in that period? So shortly after then in 2011, I started working with the staff. I had a very brief stint in between there with, um, what is it called, uh, Up Magazine, and then after that, uh, but the, the, the main long one was, uh, was with the star. So I did that for about four years. I had a, a six-panel comic in there, crime fiction again. Yes, and I was the, there, actually, at that time. Okay. 
Ah, really? Yeah, that was at the start of 2011 too. Ah. I mean, I left in 2016, so... Nice. So I owe my career actually to Victor Ndula, who you might know. Yes. Uh, he's the one who spotted emergency. I was like, this, we, we need this guy in here. Yeah. So he's the one who talked to, to, to William and, you know, got the, the column in there. It was really nice. Um, you know, it, it followed the simple tropes of crime fiction genre. Right? It was like a detective thing. You know, there's this guy who's been in prison. He gets out and he wants to get the guy who framed him to go back in. Uh, but yeah, just in a Kenyan setting. Mm. And that was fun, but it was very exhausting. You know, um, newspapers want you to send them a file every day by midday and they don't care. Which is, I mean, it's good practice because it, it helps you get over yourself. Mm. You understand that you must ship that page. You can't, you can't be too finicky looking, oh, have I done the perfect art? Have I done the perfect work? You just ship, 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 ship. And when you, when you get into that discipline of every day, come what may, whether you're on holiday, whether you're whatever, you have to ship a file. It, it really gives you that discipline uh, as a draftsman and as a writer also. Uh, although I was writing uh, at the time with uh, Nahabi, Nahabi was a writer mm. and I was uh, doing the illustration. But I would also help in terms of the story. We draw a story outline together and then we just run for four months and then uh, rinse, repeat. Mm. So that gave, that really gave me the discipline for, for, for understanding a story arc and for telling a story arc. Mm. Um, and then after that, in about uh, 2012, I met Hato, who became my co-founder of Tsunami Studio. Because at that point, I was starting to get really burnt out doing, you know, newspaper every day, every day, every day. Um, so I was trying to look like, what else can we do with this storytelling and, and, and images thing? And animation was an easy, it was a transferable skill. Not so, easy. <laughs> not easy, <laughs> but at least it was, it was close by. Mm. Uh, so with with how to we started like conceiving how can we how can we create this studio so we started the tsunami in in, in twenty thirteen and yeah the the idea was to tell stories through animation um, but it was still a very broad concept and you know we ended up doing a lot of advertising work um, which has its own challenges and after that um, you know uh, the company started facing insolvency because uh, Kenya was an immature market for, for animation. Most people don't understand how much work goes into animation. You tell somebody that, that uh, you know, to make a one-minute animation, that's a month of your time, and they're like, what? Mm. You know? <laughs> or to, it, it just didn't compute, and, you know, people were not comfortable with those type of budgets. Mm. Uh, so as I was thinking of ways to, 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 to broaden my scope, I was like, maybe I need to take a, a sabbatical, and it was during that sabbatical that I applied for a scholarship to go to Singularity University. You know, let, let's just do something. Go somewhere else. Um, you know, technology seems to be important. It's, it's revolutionizing the way we make animations. You know, why not learn a bit more about it? And it was in the course of now getting that uh, scholarship uh, in 2016 that I met Anne in, in San Francisco. Um, and yeah, um, it was its own whole adventure coming back to Kenya after getting such exposure and trying to find my footing. So in the course of trying to find my footing, I, I, I wrote a, a graphic novel um, called Out of Unlearning. Mm. That was in 2017, um, which was really a, a labor of love. It was about 100 pages done in ink, uh, in, uh, ink and paper, no digital tools, because mm. I wanted to kind of separate from, from, from the technology a little bit, get some critical distance. And I did it up country. I went to, to Cherengani. Uh, eight hours away from Nairobi, mm. just living quietly and writing. You know what? What does what, what does all of this mean? What does what does technology mean? What does uh, the current state of our global politics mean? You know, it was very stream of consciousness, free flowing, 
from uh, 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 the perspective of a, of a young Kenyan man, you know. Um, and yeah, after Art of Unlearning got published, my former classmate Anne saw it and she was like, ooh, we could use this for blockchain education. And that's what brought us to the most recent iteration. So now we are here with Trust and I'm holding this, uh, this uh, graphic novel. Yes. First of all, I love it. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you liked it. Thank uh, you. It's, um, it's, it's, um, it, it, you know, it gives a lot of education to somebody who doesn't know a lot about uh, the many things on the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed you asked at the launch at the Ancine Theatre mm-hmm. that, you know, it doesn't have a name of a country. Mm. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not Kenya. Yes. It's uh, Wahenga land. Yes. Um, uh, tell us about how this book came to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I had, I had a lot of ideas floating around in my head, you know. Um, as artists, we usually, we are like collectors. Like a butterfly collector, we collect butterflies or... Uh, how a stone collector will collect different types of pebbles on the beach. We collect symbols. We collect stories. I've been through this process of collecting for a long time. Also living with uh, other artists, you know, working with other artists, writers, traveling. Um, I always had this image of Anyakenywa. You know, in, 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 in Kikui, there's this idea of a woman who is Anyakenywa, the one who has graduated from all her her social responsibilities and is now enjoying life, you know. Like Cesaria Ivoria is a classic Nyakenya, how she would smoke on stage and be barefoot, you know. Um, and her being like a, a giver of wisdom, um, a kind of authority. And then also, um, you know, just coming from a very like patriarchal KC setting, understanding like. Um, um, like I, I really wanted to lift the feminine principle, you know, uh, especially around the issue of land, because people assume that there's something cultural about men inheriting land, but uh, that just doesn't bear scrutiny, historical scrutiny, because title deeds are an extremely modern thing. We don't have title deeds until the 1960s, so that's a very modern thing. And without title deeds you don't have the backing of a state to enforce your title. You, you, you know, if I, if, I, if I claim to own 10,000 acres, how, how can you possibly administer that territory without the backing of a state to come and help you and enforce that? The best you could do, in my imagination, in a, in a, in a pre, pre-central state era, was that I could invite you, you know, Kina James come, I cook for you, you help me till my land a little bit, and then next time when you need tilling, you, you cook for us, we come to your place. But there was no way to enforce it alone as an individual, you see. Um, but there was a way in which these hierarchies were so naturalized. You know, I was born in 1985, I'm already deep in, 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 in a post-colonial situation. So growing up, I'm seeing things that I'm taking for granted. I'm seeing the hegemony of Seventh-day Adventist religion, and I'm taking it for granted. I'm seeing, uh, um, you know, these patriarchies, and I'm taking them for granted, you know. Um, and I'm seeing also the tension that comes from, from these things. I'm seeing, you know, people assume that, like, women were happy in their subjugation. They are not. That's not been my experience. My experience is that even if uh, the unhappiness may not have been expressed, it was there. And there was a lot of civil war. There was a lot of uh, families being torn apart. You know, polygamy was not necessarily happy. 
Um, so all these all, all these things I was struggling with. By the time Anne comes to me and says, "Hey, can we do a story about a story that helps with blockchain education?" I was like, "Aha!" You know, it was an interesting tension doing this type of story because, on the one hand, blockchain is a very impenetrable subject. It's very difficult for most people, including intelligent people. They can't. Me too. Yeah, myself as well. I would not call myself an expert. Huh? Um, so it has a real storytelling problem, and uh, coming into Africa, what analogies are you going to find that's going to that's going to to, to match this new technology? And so I spent a lot of time, you know, with Anne, thinking, talking, trying to, trying to get to the bottom of it. And my biggest worry as a writer was that I don't want to bore my audience. <laughs> I don't want to bore my audience. I don't. I don't. I don't want to lose them. My first fidelity is to is to my readers and, and, and to carry them along in whatever narrative I'm doing. But then on the other hand, um, it was an opportunity that, you know, it was a really once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, I, I would have your, I would have creative freedom to tell whatever story you want to do as long as uh, in, in, in the course of that narrative there is some blockchain education. So I was like, how do I square this up? And, um, you know, just in the course of walking around Iran, uh, going by a Maasai market, I was like, ah, uh, there was something about the, the, the necklace that, that jumped out to me. I was like, okay, we, we, we could have an analogy in this. We could have a metaphor in this as a form of uh, uh, visual language and visual recording. And I started to work with that. I started to build around the Wahenga necklace, starting to draw sites. My favorite location in, in, in one of my favorite locations in Kenya is uh, Amboseli and the, 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 the landscape. And then I also uh, am very inspired by how you know, pastoralists lived, being able to live uh, in harmony with, uh, with large mammals, with even predators like lions. Uh, something which you don't see in, in places like Isi, where I'm from. Mm. So all, all, all those things were like, okay, I'd like to reconcile all this in a narrative and then also have the have the technology angle. And that's how, you know, trust started to come slowly by slowly, like a picture gaining resolution. I love the antagonist, Max. I, mean, ah! I like him. Of course, he has a European name and everybody has a name. Ah! <laughs> it was brought up during the launch. Yeah. Um, but I... I I found it so interesting that you know you borrow from your reading of the uh, the, the Elkins books and mm-hmm. the others. You know you you have your uh, Gakunia, yeah, who covers. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Uh, about like, the Gakunia? Yeah, though, I mean, why they were involved <laughs> in this? That came through, I'm, and, and I'm glad you see that coming through. I was I was going back to my emergency years. I've always felt like I have unfinished business with emergency. Mm. Like at some point in my career, I have to revisit emergency, and this was my. My, my going back there and um, I feel like uh, in Kenya the fact that we didn't address that that trauma that happened in you know between 52 and 60 uh, keeps coming back to us in many different ways you know we we've, 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 we've never really confronted it and this was my chance to confront it in my own small way that uh, you know this the the very same characters, who were on the victorious side because actually the revolutionaries lost, the Mau lost. Um, if you, that, that, that would, I think, be the revolutionary account of, of Kenyan history, not the official GHC civics account of it. The GHC civics account is that we won, we yeah. won, everything is yes. wonderful. But uh, from their perspective, they lost. And all the people that you see who enter Kenyatta's administration are actually home guards, with the exception of maybe J.M. Kariuki. 
to himself gets removed. So the revolutionaries lost by by all account, and it it was a banned organization I think until the mid two thousands. Kibaki. Yeah, until about Kibaki's regime. So that tells you, and until today, there's a great stigma about locked hair and that type of thing that comes from there. So it's a it's a it's a real ghost in our psyche, and um, the way we still fetishize colonial institutions, colonial laws, prohibitions against. Um, uh, same-sex relationships, prohibitions against the use of cannabis, prohibition against people standing on the street loitering. Those are all colonial. And they, you're not going to find those laws if you go back to Kisi, say, mm. some some 150 years or whatever. There may have been certain stigmas, but it was certainly not, uh, you know, backed by, 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 by the force of a state. You asked about the Gakunyas. The Gakunyas were actually a real thing. They were actually... I feel like it was a device that was that was used to break communities apart because you didn't know who was hiding behind that sack. Mm. You know, they would put two two holes for your eyes to see so that you could be able to identify the, uh, the revolutionaries and and betray them in exchange for maybe small favors or or, or even just being let free. Mm. So this this sowed a lot of division because you didn't know is it my uncle, is it my cousin, is it uh, you know just somebody who just doesn't like the shape of my nose, mm. you know. And you know, once you once you break that, once you 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 sow distrust, then it's very hard to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Um, and then you see how the theme of trust uh, keeps revisiting. And that that was what I found was the intersecting point with blockchain technology, because it's a technology which which speaks a lot about you know trust, you know, creating trustless systems, peer to peer relationships which uh, don't require a third party. And what is that third party doing in our transactions? They are providing trust. And uh, so that's how uh, that's that's how I was playing with the idea of trust and and, and and bringing distrust into communities. You brought up blockchain, so let's just get into this thing. Okay. I I get the impression that without block, blockchain, basically funded project. Yeah. Um, so you want to tell us a little bit about how you were able to incorporate blockchain into this project? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, uh, I, if, if I was to read this book, uh, uh-huh. you wouldn't even notice. You know, it'll just be a part of it. It's, <laughs> it's just a small part of yeah, this blockchain. Uh, but I'm of course I'm interested in Marx. I'm interested yes. in this, uh, um, these characters, you know, doing their thing. So you want to speak a little bit to blockchain? How it, how it, how involved it was? Mm-hmm. What was the process? So uh, they funded us uh, both to create the graphic novel. Uh, which was uh, a, a much smaller grant, and also to make the the motion comic, which was to the tune of about seventy five thousand dollars, which went mostly to you know paying the cast, paying the animator, sound engineer, and basically the whole team to be able to make the thing happen. Mm. And you know it was a it was a rare opportunity because the biggest challenge that we faced in animation in Kenya was that yes, we had these ideas, we believed that we were capable of of, of telling these stories, of animating these stories, but we could never get the, the backing. I mean, you know, and, and also creating the business models for it was extremely challenging in this environment. And um, so, you know, we, we, we were like constantly trying to prove, constantly trying, trying to prove this is, what, this is what we can do, this is what we can do, this is what we can do. And uh, so it was, it was a fantastic opportunity, it was a rare opportunity that, hey, you know, uh, incorporate uh, some blockchain education and then this whole world of creative freedom is, is, is possible. And uh, for me, like I told you, the trick was how do I do it in a way that doesn't... I, I still don't even feel like I did it as perfectly as I could have. 
especially when it comes to like the speech which Akinye gives in, in, in chapter 3, which is a little bit long, and, but believe me, we really worked to, to make that speech as concise as possible and even broke it into two halves with the, with the police raiding the, mm. raiding the hall. So uh, I'm glad you think that the, that it was seamless because that really was the intention to make it as seamless as possible. No, it, it's not so key. It's only when mm-hmm. you are at the event mm-hmm. where the, the launch was happening when you, when you really notice it. Mm-hmm. But when you go read the book, yes. it's not really like uh, like just part of your reading. Excellent. Um, and I'm and I'm hearing you want to do a million. Uh, you want a million people to get this book. What's mm-hmm. the story there? Well, I mean. It's just an ambition. Uh, as many people as, as, as can read it, the better. We always say that uh, it's good to aim. It's good to aim very high so that even if you miss your your target, you still get pretty high. You know, aim for so, the moon. You get to the, aim for the sun, and you may get to the moon. Aim to the sun. Exactly. I like that. So our son was basically saying a million people, and if uh, and I don't know. I don't. I don't want to water that down. But it's good to have those type of ambitions, and it kind of it kind of focuses your direction. It focuses. It tells you what you have to do. I'm going to have to sit with James Mudwa. I'm going to have to. <laughs> so are you going I'm to, going to have to get in textbook center? I'm going to have to get out of Kenya. I'm going yeah. to have. To, are, you, are you going to do readings around the schools? Or what was the plan? That is the plan. Uh-huh. That is the plan. I will. I will go to as many forums as will have me. Mm. Um, you know. Uh, and, and part of the reason why we even, you know, created a, a fictional nation was so that we're not imprisoned just within one municipality of the continent of Africa. There's no reason why, you know, um, we should not be able to go to South Africa and have the same conversation because there are certain things that unify us in our history, you know, like even the story of the Gakunyas. Yes, Kenya's war of independence was exceptionally violent, but... They are similar stories. I think the British kind of replicated this model, not just the British alone, any colonial mm. any colonialist from any 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 person who wants to dominate has to do these things. They have to sow distrust within the communities. Mm. They have to create factions so that you create permanent minorities, what Mahmoud Mandani always talks about, you know. Um yeah, take people who are actually a majority but convince them that there are many, many there are small there there are many minorities within the majority. Exactly. So I mean, uh, I'm I'm gonna wrap it now. Wrap it up now. Okay. Um, I'm gonna ask. I mean, what are the are you planning to do any other projects like this, uh, or, or this is the project now for a while until further notice? I'm already on another one. Yes. You know, uh, graphic novels have become my thing. So um, I mean, we already have. We work as a studio. So no, I'm not directly involved in everything the studio does. Like for example, we are doing a kids animation series right now. That has to do with you know kids nursery rhymes, collecting nursery rhymes from different parts of Kenya. We are funded by the Kenya Film Commission. We started in in Kakamega, and we are trying to go out of there. So we are trying to go to Rwanda right now for for this corp to you know get it to spread. Um, but other than that, I'm also working on another graphic novel with Root to Food, um, uh, which is more political. It's more explicitly political, and it's about the connection of food to politics. Yeah. And you know, it's carried by this politician who is um, anyway. I, I, I don't want to talk too much about that because because it's in the works. But um, it's something that's there. It's something that uh, I I will keep on doing. And I think uh, the older I become as a writer. You realize that because it's so involving, this book took three years, it's so involving to make these books that you only have so many books in you. Mm. So you have to choose your topics wisely. Um, so for somebody who's listening in right now and they want mm. to get on the book, what access? Because 
We haven't even talked about the the film so much, but mm-hmm. that one you just go to YouTube, right? Yes. So how do how do we get the book like uh, for those of us who want the book? Okay. So go to trustgraphicnovel.com. That's where you'll get everything. You'll get access to the to the film. You can be able to watch it on YouTube. You get access to the digital comic, both in English and Kiswahili. Uh, we are hoping to do a Kiswahili launch in Mombasa because uh, I feel like a translation is an entirely new book. It gives it a whole new texture. So we are hoping to do that in, in, in the home of Kiswahili, which is the Kenyan coast. And then uh, if you want to download the book, you can, you can get it both internationally and uh, in Kenya you can pay with M-Pesa. Internationally you can use Amazon. Um, we also had an NFT collection, which I think is almost sold out. We've, we sold out eight out of eight out of ten of the of the NFTs, which were on OpenSea. So trustgraphicnovel.com should direct you to all of that constellation of uh, media that we created. Okay, I mean, thank you for agreeing to be on our podcast. Thank you so much.